Good morning, everyone. Good morning morning and welcome to Old Providence Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. What a joy it is to be here with you all today. And I welcome you, whether you're a longtime member or first time visitor or somewhere in between. It is the Lord that has brought us to this place and he's brought us here to worship him because he alone is worthy of our worship and our honor and our praise. But before we begin, let me just point you to your bulletin for, well, I'm going to make a few announcements, but there's several things going on. First and foremost, homecoming and special services are one week away, right? One week from today, we will celebrate homecoming and enjoy a covered dish meal after soap. Please do bring food for that, and that's one week from today, right after the morning worship service. And then Sunday through Wednesday night at 7 p.m., we're going to be having special services nightly, and that concludes on Wednesday night with our ice cream social. Um, Reverend Joe Fleming, international missionary and director of the missionary agency Training to Send, he's going to be our guest speaker. And I'm telling you now, you will be amazed, humbled, and inspired by how the Lord is working in the world around us. So... Please do make the commitment to be a part of these services with us. Um, Lots of other things are going on, too. It's the fall. Things have cranked back up. We have a session meeting today at 3.30. Are the deacons meeting at 5? They're meeting after church this morning. Okay, so deacons are meeting right after, not at 5 o'clock. Tomorrow, Monday, midday returns. Glenn Hanger is going to be speaking, and that will be at 11 a.m., Daily devotionals are back. They air at 6 a.m. They're available all day, so feel free to tune in whenever on our Facebook page or on sermonaudio.com forward slash Old Providence. Um, Other things are back, like Wednesday night at 645. We have our Bible study and prayer meeting. And this past week, so many of you came out. That was a huge blessing, and I'm really excited as we do this in-depth study together. We're going through the book of Hebrews And it is so applicable to today and what we're facing in the world around us. Um, One more thing that I'll mention, one week from today, forms are going to go out in the bulletin because it's time to recommend officers, uh, elders and deacons. Two weeks from today, we have a congregational meeting to submit those forms. Now, I know that's a lot, but it's all in the bulletin, okay, along with other items, so please be aware. Again, I welcome you. What a joy it is to have this time. That the Lord has provided for us. Let's now prepare our hearts for worship as Donna leads us in the prayer. Our call to worship this morning comes from the 29th Psalm where we read, Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is above the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord above the vast water. The voice of the Lord in power. The voice of the Lord in splendor. 
The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the woodlands bare. In his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned king forever. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses his people with peace. My friends, as we reflect on this psalm of power, the 29th psalm, attributing to God the praise, the honor, the glory, the majesty, the splendor of who he is, let us not miss what the psalmist is saying here. As he talks over and over again about the voice of the Lord, realize that if you want to hear the voice of the Lord, you need only pick up his Bible and read it. For there we find the voice of the Lord. And he has called us here today as we come to his word, as we lift up songs of praise, as we pray. He has called us today to hear him, to heed his voice, to heed his word. We have so many reasons to celebrate, so many reasons to, to worship, but let this be amongst the greatest that the God of the universe has called you here out of love, out of provision, out of mercy and out of grace to worship him. Let's now go to him in prayer, after which we will pray the Lord's Prayer together and then confess the Apostles' Creed. But let's go to him now. Our Father, indeed, as the psalmist has written, so it is true, your voice thunders still in the world around us. It is over the waters. It is over all the portions of creation because you alone are the great and almighty God. Let us not lose sight of the fact that in your splendor and majesty, you love us enough to call us here. To give us this time separate from the, 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 the day in, the day out, you give us this time to focus on you and all of your greatness. So please, guide us now by your Holy Spirit that we would behold your splendor and your majesty. Guide us by your Holy Spirit that we would worship in spirit and in truth. We pray these things in Christ's name, and we also pray as he taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen indeed. Amanda, there is, we're having some technical difficulties. The remote control that is not attached on the far left side, if you will hit power on that, it should say sharp on it. Uh, don't point it at the TV, point it at the little thing beside the computer. Y'all, we, we, we have a high dollar operation here. You know, that's what we're, here we go, now I think we'll be working, and if you're looking at the TVs, you'll actually see something there. Now, now that that's out of the way, you know it's fascinating, these things were working earlier, and uh, I, I should say this, y'all know that I'm not the, uh, the type that the devil's in every light bulb that goes out. However, when things like this happen, when it's the little things, you know, Satan does so many things to try to discourage, dissuade, attack, distract, even things like this. And so let us focus our attention on the Lord. Let's stand together as we take our hymnals and sing number 213. And indeed, pay attention to the words and sing them out. Let's sing them together. Crown him with many crowns, number 213.
stand, you may be seated. Children, come on down. Right down front. All right. Yep. Y'all y'all headed me off at the pass. Let's move over here. Good job. I'm going to put this right here so I can face you all. How is everybody doing today? Good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. At least I'm glad to hear that from Chloe. The rest of y'all are pretty quiet this morning. It's kind of a dreary day, isn't it, out there? But I hope you're excited. It kind of feels like fall, right? Do you guys like fall? I love fall. It's my favorite time of the year. Now, I want to talk to you about something important today that God tells us in his word. Let me ask you something. Do you ever have to do things that you don't really want to do? Anybody ever have to? Yeah. Sydney's honest. Thank you for raising your hand. Todd is honest. He has raised his hand back here. Thank you, Todd. I'll raise my hand. Yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah, hands going up. Yeah. yeah, you know, there's lots of things sometimes that we have to do that we really don't want to do. Like, do your parents ever make you do chores around the house? Yeah, sometimes we don't want to do that. Um, sometimes husbands have to do that with wives and vice versa. So, uh, let me ask you something else. Do you have to go to school, right? And do you always feel like learning everything that you're supposed to learn? Yeah, no, not really, right? Or maybe even it's simple things like being nice to your brother or to your sister or obeying your parents or eating vegetables or, I don't know, brushing your teeth. Yeah, all the time we do things that maybe we don't necessarily want to do. The truth is is that in life we're called to do things that if we were given the choice, sometimes we wouldn't do those things at all. Because deep down inside, every single one of us, we want to do what we want to do. But I want to tell you what God's Word says about the things we do and why we should do them. Instead of just doing what we want to do, listen to what God's Word says in Colossians chapter 3. It says, whatever you do, and you all know what the word whatever means right whatever means whatever whatever you do work at it with all your heart as working for the lord not for men since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the lord as a reward it is the lord christ you are serving y'all did you hear what the bible just said it says that whatever you do everything you do remember that even though There are people in your life that tell you things to do, even though there are things in life that you need to do, and even though there are things in life that you don't want to do, whatever it is that you do, God tells you that whatever we do, it should be done as if we're doing it for Jesus himself. And that's an important thing, y'all, because think about what Jesus has done for you. What are some things that Jesus has done for you? Somebody tell me something Jesus has done. Chloe? He gave you a family, absolutely. Yes, ma'am. What do you think, Elizabeth? He died on the cross for our sins. You know that the Bible says other things about Jesus, too. It says that all things were made through him. It says that he maintains all things. It says that he is seated at God's right hand, ruling over all things. That means that Jesus is working in the world around us. He does everything for us. And so, when the Bible tells us to remember that what we do... We're to do for him. 
Let that be a reminder to you guys. When you have to do something you don't want to do, that you can do it with a good attitude toward Jesus. I remember times in my life when I didn't have a good attitude. Has anybody ever suffered from that? Have your parents ever said something to you and you said, oh, do I have to? Anybody ever done that? Or you might go and do it, but instead of going and doing it with a good attitude, you go, and you just kind of, you know, walk to the kitchen to do the dishes or something like that. You know, when the Bible tells us to do what we do for Jesus, it means not only should we obey, it means that we should have the right attitude about it. So, I'm going to pray for you guys to remember that. I'm going to pray for all of us to remember that, because we all need that reminder. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for all the wonderful things that you have done for us, for all the things that Jesus does for us every single day. Let us to remember to, to do what we do for you. Remembering what your word says, to do all things as if we're doing them for Jesus. Thank you for your love and for your mercy. I pray that these children would remember it. I pray that all of us would remember it. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as they are going, let's take this time to go to our Lord in silent prayer. And I would, consider, I, I would encourage you to consider what the Lord has done for you as you spend this time with him. And then I'll lead us in the pastoral prayer. Let's go to him now. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, as I've just read with the children, your word tells us about so many things that you do for us, so many callings that you give to us, so many opportunities that come our way to be faithful to you. And as we consider these things, we are humbled, humbled at your all-encompassing, your, your comprehensive care that you provide for us in ways that we do not see, you protect us in ways that we don't have the good sense to recognize. You love us. That love being manifest in so many ways, including, as was just said by one of the children, you sent your son, your one and only son, to die for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That we might trust in him, that he would be our righteousness, that we might be adopted as the children of God. Oh, Father, in light of these things, we have such grateful hearts. But in light of these things, we are reminded of our own failings. Your son came to die to pay for our sins, and our sin abounds. Instead of remembering that what we're to do is, 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 is to be done for you, we, we don't even get that far. So often we just do what we want to do without regard for you without living that life of gratitude in light of what you've done. And Father, we sin in so many other ways, selfishness, abandonment. Father, please forgive us. Let us see your love and at the same time, 
Let us see those times when we need to lay down everything at the altar and turn to you in humble obedience and seek your face, seeking forgiveness. Let us do that on a daily basis as we move forward together, especially in light of the calling that you've given to us. The calling that, that is described in so many ways, calling to be the salt of the earth, calling to be the light of the world like a city on a hill that can't be hidden. And not for ourselves, for you, for your kingdom, for your glory. Remind us again and again of of not just the responsibility we have to follow your commands, and it is, but, but remind us of the privilege we have to be your children. Oh, and the love that you show us. We pray especially that you would do this for those that are struggling. We know that many in our midst are, are, are not here. That would be in our midst. They want to be here, but they can't be here. Some of them are facing new medical situations. Some of them old medical situations. It doesn't matter. What it, whatever it is, please bring restoration and healing and bring them back into our fellowship as they want to be here. Strengthen them. Encourage them. And let us see how we can be an encouragement too. For those that are facing struggles of other varieties, uh, maybe it has nothing to do with the physical realm whatsoever. Maybe it's sadness, loneliness, grief, weariness, depression, whatever it may be, anxiety, it doesn't matter. Please give a special measure of grace and a special measure of your presence. As we think about what you have done in the life of Old Providence, we're so grateful, Father. And now, in a week, we come together to celebrate homecoming and and, and then special services. Even now, we pray that you would be with Joe as he prepares and as he comes to bring the word and share what you are doing around the world. Give us attentive hearts and minds. Let us make the commitment now to be a part of these things, um, Father, so that, that we would be a blessing to each other and so that we would be blessed. We pray even now for all of these events that they would go well and that, Father, you would work through them to grow your kingdom, letting us see that you are at work around us. And as we think about the world, we, we, just hearing of this tragedy in Morocco, this earthquake, um, potentially thousands and thousands of people that, that have either died or are trapped, it, it's unthinkable. But we pray that you would intervene. We pray that you would go into that situation, that, that, that the loss of life would be prevented, that those that are working would be protected. And Father, we pray that this would be a poignant reminder of this world that we're living in, a world that is not meant to be permanent, but instead a world that groans with anticipation at your son's return. In light of these things, we pray that first and greatest prayer of the church, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. But as we wait, let us be found among the faithful. We pray this and all things in Christ's name. Amen. Now let us continue our worship by taking our green Bible song book as we sing Bible song number 140, Anticipation of Answered Prayer. Bible song number 140. Please stand with me.
Let's go to the Lord, our Father, as we have just lifted up. You are the one that answers our prayers. You are the one that provides. And so in light of that, as we return to you now, I pray that you would bless the gift, that you would bless the giver, that we would be mindful that we are a part of your kingdom with responsibilities and privileges related to it. So please work through your church. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Be seated.
Thank you very much, choir, as we've been talking about today quite a bit. It's such a wonderful reminder that we really should have an attitude that is characterized by gratitude. Um, and so thank you so much for that choir, for that reminder that God gives us all things. Now, if you were here with us last week, you'll know that we finished something. We completed our summer series in the Psalms, and we did so with Psalm 27 and looked at why David is the man after God's own heart. We really see the answer to that in Psalm 27, 4, that David's one desire, as he says there, I've asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. This is what David wanted. Above anything else, to simply dwell with God and gaze on his beauty. Hence, he is called the man after God's own heart. Now, this, of course, prompted us to examine. I ask you the question, what should your relationship with God be like? Right? What should you really want? We saw what David wanted. What do you really want? And we even focused on this idea of what in whom do you love, really, when it comes down to it. At least I hope last week served as a, as a prompting for you to do so because I, I hope this not only for your sake and the sake of, the, of your relationship with the Lord, but I also wanted it to be a prompting to set up where we would be today as we gather together. You all know I said we were going to be doing something new, so where shall we go? You know, I went back and forth on this. There's really a lot of options. There are 66 options, in fact, as far as which book we would go to next. Maybe a little bit less because I preached through several over the last six years. But as I prayed about where the Lord would take us on his day, as I considered where we are right now and the things that lie ahead, namely fall is upon us, right? Things are cranking up. We have lots of new folks in our midst. Our sanctuary refreshing project is about to get cranked up in October too. In light of these things and in light of where the Lord is taking us as a church, I could think of no better book to preach than the letter to the Philippians. Letter to the Philippians. Why Philippians, you might ask? Well, the answer is in why Paul wrote Philippians in the first place. And that's what I really want to focus on today, right here at the start, as we begin our time in this marvelous portion of God's Word. So go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Philippians with me. Um, it's in the New Testament. If you're struggling to provide it, don't forget your rhyme, or, or, or find it, don't forget your, forget your rhyme, right? General Electric Power Company, y'all know that one? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, that's how I remember it still to this day. So turn to Philippians, right? It's before Colossians, it's after Ephesians, it's, it's, it's in the epistles there. Um, the, the tricks we use to remember where things are, right? Anyway, as you're turning there very briefly, and don't worry. As we go along, we'll talk more and more about the background of the book of Philippians. But for right now, right here at the start, very quickly, I want to focus on the who, the what, the when, the where. And then our real focus, our overall focus today, is on the why. Why is the book of Philippians in God's word? What, why did God inspire the letter to the Philippians in Paul? But first, the who, the what, the when, and the where is rather simple, right? In the book of Philippians, right, Paul the Apostle is writing the church in Philippi. Now, Philippi was located really at a major juncture. It's kind of seen as the gateway between Europe and Asia, 
okay? And itself, it was incredibly wealthy. It was considered like the miniature Rome of that region, okay? It's basically where Greece and Macedonia met. Um, it was a very wealthy city because there were gold and silver mines located pretty close by. Also, given where it is, because it's the gateway to Asia, it was a major center for commerce, right? So the, it's a very, very wealthy town. And indeed, Paul is writing to Philippi, but specifically, he is writing to the church at Philippi. So the book of Philippians was written to followers of Christ in the context of them being the church. Now, as a result, that ought to have some bearing on us. If the book of Philippians was written to the church then, because this is the word of God, it is written also for the church now. And so we need to pay really close attention to what is going on here because this is God's word for God's people. Now, as far as when it was written, there's varying options. Some say it was actually the last of the prison epistles, and, and with that I, I kind of revealed something. Um, anywhere from 58 to 62 AD is when Paul wrote this, somewhere around 60 AD. But he's writing this from prison. He has been imprisoned as an apostle for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's all sorts of clues in the book of Philippians about where he's writing from. Most likely, he's writing from Rome, but, but we'll get into that a little bit more when we get there. Now, that's the who, the where, and the when. The what is that Philippians, again, I, I've said it several times, it was originally a letter from Paul to the Philippian church. But it's not just a letter. It is the word of God. God, God breathed out his word by the Holy Spirit through Paul in order that we would have the letter to the Philippians to this day as a part of God's holy word. All right, and again, that's that grand mystery of human authorship and God breathing out his word as we learn in Timothy. But nevertheless, it is the word of God. Now, the big question. What about the why? Why did God inspire? Why did, why did God breathe out his word through Paul to the Philippians? Well, let's read and find out. Uh, but first, let's pray. Our Father, please be with us now as we embark on this new study, on this new section of your word, new to us at least right now together. We pray that you would guide us, that we would see what matters. It all matters, but that we would see the point. Give us understanding by your Holy Spirit and convict our hearts. Work in us not so that we would just gain academic knowledge or anecdotes, information instead let us be captive to your word knowing it understanding us let, let us let your word guide us by your holy spirit we can't do this alone we need you so please help us now this the first sunday that we're in philippians and in the sundays to come that we would praise and glorify your name we pray all of these things in christ's name amen we're only going to read the first section here, or, or a portion of the first section, but Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, Always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think of this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and Okay, so right from the start, I hope you caught some of those preliminary things that we just talked about there about Philippians. There in verse 1, right, it says that the letter is from Paul. It says that he's with Timothy and that he's writing to all the saints, including the overseers and the deacons in Philippi. This is why I said earlier that Paul wrote it and that he wrote it to the church. Side note number one, remember the biblical definition here, a word is thrown out that sometimes people get hung up on. He says that this is written to the saints, right? Sometimes people get hung up on that idea of saints. They look at that from more of a Roman Catholic veneration, you know, perspective where a saint is only somebody who's done something really, really important and really, really good and, and miracles are involved. No, that is not the biblical definition of a saint. According to the Bible, saints are those who know God, Okay. They are those that know and love the Lord, period, the end. And the reason we say that Philippians was written specifically to churches is because he doesn't just say he's writing to the saints. He also says that he's including the overseers and the deacons. Overseer is interchangeable with elder, right? We see it all throughout the New Testament, um, as in the elders who make decisions and rule over the church. Side note number two, the Greek word for elder is presbyteros, right? That, which is why we are Presbyterian, okay? Sound familiar? Now, all of that being said, enough history. Back to the why. Why was Philippians written? The answer to this question is shown in two ways. And the first way is shown through what Paul modeled in his introductory section here. And then it's revealed in what Paul said he was praying for as he remembered the Philippians. So first off, what did Paul model? What, what example did Paul give the Philippian church? And by extension, you and me. Well, as soon as the salutations are finished there in verse 2, Paul then says in verses 3 and 4, and we've read it, but I'll read it again. <clears throat> Listen to what he said. He said, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. Pause. Remember, the Bible doesn't exaggerate, Right? Verse 3, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from this day until now. Right, I left verse 5 off there. But this is one package statement. If you read between the lines here, in other words, Paul says two things here that ought to serve as examples for us. He was leaving an example for them. They ought to be examples to us. Let me translate. The first thing he says to them is he was grateful to God for them. That's why he said, and I give thanks to my God every, for every remembrance of you. And the second thing that he showed them, the second example he gave, is that he remembered them with joy and prayer. 
That's this always remembering business that he talked about. Now, this is for the church then. It's for us today. Read between the lines. What is our calling from this example that Paul gave the Philippians? Well, what Paul has revealed here is that when he thinks of the Philippian church, he thinks of them as his brothers and sisters in Christ, yes. But when he thinks of them, he's grateful to God for them. And he remembers them with joy. And he prays for them. Let me ask you something. We're, we're asking the, the question, okay, what does this mean for us? So what? I know that some of you are visiting today. Maybe it's your first time ever. Others of you are a regular part of this church. But if you're a regular part of this church, if you're a part of Old Providence, let me ask you, what comes to mind when you think of Old Providence? Really? What comes to mind when you think, when you hear Old Providence, what do you think of? First off, if it isn't the people at Old Providence, we got some work to do. Look, and I and realize that I say this with the utmost respect and gratitude for how God has blessed this congregation for 281 years. And one of those blessings is this plot of land, this hillside, wonderful facilities, and we're about to start this big refreshing project. And all of that is good, and all of that is important. But let me tell you something. If the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of Old Providence is the land, the building, the institution of Old Providence, if you're not thinking of the people, we got a problem. Why? Because, my friends, Old Providence, though we are blessed with these facilities, Old Providence is not this building. It's not this address. It's not this land. It isn't the graveyard or the stone hall. You are Old Providence. Because a church is absolutely nothing without its people. It's just brick and mortar. It's nice that's out of the way as you think about the people that make up old providence let me ask you we're thinking about paul's example are you grateful for one another as you think about each other does joy spring up i mean that do you pray in joy for one another are you filled with joy and gratitude if not Again, we've got some work to do, y'all. I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the biggest problems that we have in American Christianity is that people go around and they call themselves the followers of Christ, but they either are on one end of the equation where they don't care a lick about God's word and they do whatever they want and they make a mockery of Jesus, or on the other end, they can, I don't know, they can look like they were baptized in vinegar, right? I mean, there's so many Christians that are sour. We of all people should be full of joy. If you know the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you have been saved, transformed by him, that ought to radiate from you. It ought to inform everything that you do and everything that you are. Paul gave that example of joy and gratitude as he remembered the Philippians. And this is our first hint at why God inspired this portion of his word. Paul would go on to encourage them in light of this as well. Look at what he said to him in verse 6. He said, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
What a wonderful encouragement this is. What he's doing here, he's reminding them of the central truth of our faith. And that is that the Lord preserves his people. The Lord hangs on to us because God finishes what he starts. And the fact that if you have faith today, realize this, if you have faith today, it's not because you worked it up in yourself. It's because God gave you the faith that you have. And God will be faithful to bring that faith to completion all the way until either Jesus comes back or he calls you home. And this truth is revealed here from Paul. And if you say, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. I chose to believe in God. My faith is mine. Well, while it is true that you must choose to follow Christ, the only way you'll ever choose to follow him is if God gives you the faith necessary to do it. What he's saying here is that salvation begins and ends with God and is maintained all along the way. We see this same idea in Ephesians chapter 2 when he said, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. If you think that your faith is something you worked up in you like the sports team that you root for or you know, something, other, no, faith is the gift of God. You have been saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves or from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. What Paul is doing here in Philippians is he's encouraging them with this idea that God's got you. And he's going to hang on to you. He's not going to turn you loose. And again, he's offering an example of what we're supposed to do. Let me ask you, do you encourage one another? Do you seek to lift one another up and encourage each other about how loved you are? Because that's the example that Paul leaves. And not only did Paul do this, look at what he said next about the real source of his gratitude, his, his prayers, his joy, his encouragement. Why did he do these things? He did it because he loved the Philippians. Look at verse 7 and following. He said, indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart. have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel for God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus y'all even though he's in prison Paul is focused on telling the Philippians how much he missed them how much he loved them and so do you love one another we're talking about the why. Why Philippians? Well, this is the answer to the why. why. Why did Paul write this letter? Why did God inspire it as his holy word, breathing it out of Paul? It's all about love. You know, Paul is famous for his writings on love, isn't he? We, when I preached the 23rd Psalm a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how it's probably the... the this is probably the most well-known chapter in all of God's word. John 3.16 takes it for the most well-known verse. But you want to know what the second most well-known chapter in all of God's word is? You might not have to even look hard at it. 1 Corinthians 13, right? Oh, the poetry, the beauty, right? As it begins, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not loved, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
And we find more language like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. And so on. People know about this chapter for a very good reason. Oftentimes it is used in weddings, right? And, and it's fascinating. Even secular weddings use 1 Corinthians 13 all the time. Especially because of that last verse. And now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Oh, it's so beautiful, right? But realize that 1 Corinthians 13 wasn't written to just be beautiful. In fact, it's nestled between two of the most controversial chapters in all of God's word. 1 Corinthians 13 was written to show the love of God, but to remind the Corinthians to love each other. When Paul, and forget about Paul, when God revealed in his word that these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest is love. This isn't just about poetry. God meant it. Y'all, you can say it lots of ways, but nothing lasts without love. Nothing real. This is why throughout all of his epistles, and I challenge you, sometime today, go through, and you can, you can read through the epistles, right? If you read through the front of them, Paul is going to tell you exactly why he's writing that particular church. And almost all of them have to do with I'll throw out some theology here. We call it the Pauline trident. Trident as in three, faith, hope, and love. Almost everything that Paul writes is written to address whichever of those is missing in the different churches that he writes. And love matters most, my friends. And the reason why Paul wrote the Philippians was that while not many problems are mentioned in the letter, one thing is indicated, and we'll get to it as we go along. The one thing is that is indicated is they need to love one another. And they need what love produces. Paul showed why he wrote the Philippians through his example that he left first and then through his prayer. Hence verse 9. Why did he write Philippians? It's revealed in his prayer. Verse 9. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. This is why Paul wrote the Philippians. This is why God breathed out his word, to show how important love is and to also show what love accomplishes in his people. And you can't have one without the other. If you doubt that, look at the world around you and its concept of love. Can you think of anything more twisted right now than that one term? What people use it for? What people assert that love means? Oftentimes in this crazy world of ours, people talk about love and really it's hatred. They don't see it, they're fools. So God's word shows us in Philippians not only how important love is, but how important what love produces is in your life. This is where we're going to pick up next week in, in what love produces. But your challenge for right now before you leave here, as you look around at each other, your challenge is to examine your love for each other. Are you characterized by joyful gratitude? Do you remember one another in joyful prayer? Do, do you love? And does it result in knowledge and discernment? The Lord knows. And you do too. As you consider this, remember the words of our Savior. In his high priestly prayer, John 17, right before his arrest and subsequent crucifixion, of all the things Jesus could pray for, do you remember what he prayed? He prayed that those who are far off, that means you and me, that we would be brought together in complete unity, that we would be brought together in love. 
Because our love for one another says to the world out there that Jesus is real, that God sent him, and that God loves them just as he loves his son. All of it hinges on our love for each other. So receive this challenge with an open and an honest heart. Examine your hearts, Christian. But if you are not a Christian and you are here today, I would encourage you to examine your heart as well. As I've just alluded to, this world around us and its concept of love is so warped, so twisted. Love has been reduced to usury, using people. If you want real love, it will only be through Jesus Christ. If you know that you don't know him, come and see me after. I'll be at the portico, and we will talk and get this thing squared away. Because this love that comes through Christ that you can have for one another, it is beyond compare. It's the only thing that lasts. So again, I challenge you to consider these things. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word, for your love that is so evidently on display. If we would only see it, if we would remember to stop, if we would remember even to pause from time to time and consider you, oh, how it would change us. Let us do these things. If there are any here that do not know you, let them see their great need. Draw them to yourself, Father. And for those of us that do know you, let us be honest in examining how we love one another. For our love is our testimony. And not only that, our love is the fabric of, uh, of something that lasts, the only thing that lasts. Please work in our hearts and in our midst. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Now let us stand together and close as we sing that great old hymn, 473, in the hymn book. Blessed be the tie that binds. Stand with me, number 473.
Amen. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.